We are continuing on this series of what does Jesus change? And today we are looking at our relationships and we have been building, right? We had priorities last week. Before that, we had values like we're, we're building on this path. And when we're thinking about what does Jesus change our relationships, maybe we immediately think, well, of course, right? Because Jesus says the two most important commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, that Jesus is constantly trying to get across to the disciples, to all those that are around him, to us, what does it mean to love? And sometimes we look at the way he specifically interacts with his friends, his family, his the apostles. And then other times it's kind of like, okay, he is giving a direct commandment. But today we're going to look a little bit different. We are still in the book of Luke which is all about right trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus in the context, in the environment that we find ourselves in. And with this particular conversation, we're actually going to look at a couple of scriptures that often aren't put together out of chapter 13. And, and often we actually don't look at one piece of this because it kind of gets thorny, just like our relationships, right? Because... Our relationships, relationships aren't easy, necessarily. I mean, maybe every now and then we come by one that is a little easier than others, but sometimes our relationships get complicated in ways that we could have never expected and we don't like. In fact, it's kind of one of those moments of thinking about how you know, Jesus gave us this stuff, right? We've been reading this stuff for like 2,000 years, and it's like, well, did Jesus really change anything? Because we still seem to be divisive. We still seem to like fight with one another. Uh, relationships, whether you like them or not, can be hard. And you kind of look around and go, what is going on with humanity? And so to be able to take a real deep step into how Jesus is changing our relationships may give us a sense of what it means for us today. It may give us a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of guidance in how we're trying to navigate our own. So for today, we are starting in Luke, the, fifth, the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 5. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed with the tower of Siloam fell on them? Did you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. All right, so you're going, wait a minute, what happened? And a couple of things as we dig into this portion of the scripture. One is Pilate was cruel. Pilate was a cruel ruler, and he would use whatever means necessary to keep that fear, to keep people controlled. And so if Pilate thought, hey, I'm going to kill some people because I need to, to hold on to power, to make Rome happy, to make my superiors happy, then that's what I'm going to do. And so 
we don't have any historical evidence, any historical writings to uh, go along with to say, yeah, actually they're referencing a real historical event. But it is very possible, just as with the Tower of Siloam falling, we don't have a, a being uh, validated by yet another source, a historical resource, but it is very possible that it fell. And we could get into this discussion immediately of suffering and why do good people suffer, because that's really what is being asked of him. Right? They're like, so uh, those Gal Galileans who died offering sacrifices, which just to be clear, that means that they were killed in the temple because you went to the temple in Jerusalem. And so they're asking about the Galileans because Galileans by other Jews weren't seen necessarily as being great Jews. They were a little less than some of the others. And so they're asking, so... So these Galileans, they aren't as good as those others. And so they deserve to die, right? And Jesus is like, oh, wait, hold up here, folks. Let's take a step back. Yes, there is suffering and there is tragedy in this world. And two examples right here of where the people didn't cause it. Pilate caused it and then building. The building falls for numerous reasons. People were killed. People suffered, but that's not because God caused it. So often in the ancient world, that was the immediate response, that if anything happened, anything, whether that was good or bad, it was automatically attributed to God. And Jesus is like, hold up, we need to back up on this discussion right here. Because we are first and foremost making judgments making accusations, making assumptions about other people. And to think about that a little bit, right? It's kind of what we do. We often, we're constantly making judgments, assumptions. We're constantly processing the information that we get about others and then responding. And so here, Jesus is like, wait a minute. We all need, because he says, right? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. All of us, all of us, all of us need God. All of us need love. All of us need to change our lives in some way, our hearts and lives, to be filled with more love. All of us are not perfect. And so Jesus is reminding them here of that, of saying we need to back up with some assumptions that we have made about others, about not thinking we are necessarily better than someone else because... And so Jesus begins to challenge and change how they understand one another of those assumptions and judgments that they make, of those things that they already, they want to immediately put on, well, he must have deserved it. And Jesus is like, hold up, all of us need help in this world. All of us need to change our hearts and lives because none of us have it all together. None of us have it figured out. And there are going to be times, right, where we pop off, where something makes us angry and we respond and we're like, oh, I wish I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have acted. I'm sorry, right? All of us experience that. And so Jesus is reminding us 
of our humanity, of how we are connected, of how we are all in need of God's love. We are all in need of God's compassion. And so to further explain, to further explain what he just said, he's about to tell a parable. So verses six through nine, Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. So, right, Jesus is talking about our humanity, our connectedness, but then now he is digging into a relationship. He is digging to how we are responding to one another about what does our life produce. All of our lives in some way produces something. And so what are we cognizant of? What are we aware of in that our words and our actions are producing a particular thing? It's producing a particular outcome. And so how aware of that and this other side, that sometimes we need help with that. Sometimes we are in need of help. Sometimes we are not producing what is good or what is helpful, and so we need a little help. And here comes the gardener ready to fertilize and help. And so in thinking of our own relationships, thinking about where we respond, of how we can help, of, you know what, we see somebody struggling. What can I do? We need to be kind. We need to be present, right? And then there's this really interesting verse. Because here comes a boundary. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. So there is this sense of how we are responding to one another's needs, of how we are helping, how we are present, how we are being encouraging and cultivating to another person's life, and how people can be that for us. But here, it, it's making this line of saying, you know, sometimes it's you got to draw the line. You've got to say, no more. Sometimes you have to cut it down. Sometimes you have to draw a boundary because it becomes toxic and unhealthy. Sometimes we have to draw those lines because the fruit that is being produced is not good. It is toxic. It is problematic. It is detrimental to one's health. And so here, Jesus is giving us this indication, this boundary, but he's also challenging in how we draw those boundaries of when we choose to draw the line in the sand, of when we choose to help and when we choose to say no more. And so to begin to think about that, because all of us draw lines, all of us draw lines in some way in our relationships with all kinds of people. But how often are we stopping and thinking of going, wait a minute, why did I draw that particular line? Do I understand the line that I have drawn? Because if we're doing that on a regular basis and we don't, we have no awareness of it, it is possible that we are damaging relationships in ways that we don't want to or that we are missing opportunities when we really can help, or we are living into something toxic and unhealthy that we need to back away from. And so to begin to think about that, 
to really kind of think through like the lines that we draw in our lives, in our relationships, and why we draw them and how we draw them. What makes us do it here as opposed to over here? What makes it do it with this person early days? And what makes us give a little more space, a little more grace, a little more cultivation in others? And so this really is beginning to challenge our thought process of how we are living into our relationships. Continuing on in verses 10 through 14. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. Another healing story. Over the last few weeks, we have heard numerous healing stories of Jesus. Numerous healing stories in all kinds of situations and contexts, and often they are happening on the Sabbath day, and often somebody is incensed, somebody's angry, somebody's challenging because they're missing the point of this particular thing. And in this particular story, we get this interesting detail that the woman has been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. All right, 18 years, we get this fact. We get what she is struggling with in life, which means the community knew. They saw her every Sabbath probably showing up at the synagogue, and they saw that she was struggling, and they didn't necessarily respond. Maybe they didn't know how. Maybe they didn't know what they could do. Maybe they may felt helpless here. But there's this other part when the synagogue leader is incensed that gives us yet another perspective. When it says, the synagogue leader insists that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, there are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. Hey, lady, you are not worth my time. You are not worth my energy. Jesus, she's not worth your time and energy. And so to begin to think about that, of who is worth our time and why they are worth our time. Jesus, as we've said before the previous weeks recently, right, values, his values are being a healing presence, his values are being present with the people, and so he prioritizes that, so he will do those things even if it's on the Sabbath day because those are his values and priorities. And here we also get that sense of worth, that she is worth Jesus' time, but that this leader, this one who is incensed, is like, she's not worth my time. 
She hasn't been for 18 years. Why is she worth anybody's time now? And so for us to begin to really think about how we understand one another's worth, how we understand our own worth, what is our worth tied to? Is it about what we can or can't do? Is our worth tied to what we have or do not have? Or is it tied to a God who says, nope, I love all of you. No matter what, I love all of you. All of humanity is connected. What is our worth tied to? Because how we understand our own worth and then the worth of someone else begins to directly connect every single relationship, how we engage in it, how we respond to it, how we are interacting in them. Because if we don't understand where our worth comes from, if we don't have a worth that is centered on a loving, ever-present God, a healing, compassionate, forgiving, grace-filled, merciful, yet calling us to accountability, God, if that is where we place our worth, we begin to act in very different ways in our relationships and with one another, in the things that we allow our, to go through our head. And that's a really difficult thing. I get that, right? Because we are sometimes so hard on ourselves, much harder than maybe even someone else could be, because our worth is tied to the outside stuff, to the stuff that ultimately doesn't matter, to what we can or cannot do. And so here, Jesus is directly challenging how we understand our worth, how we stand one another's worth, how we understand who is worthy of our time, attention, accountability, interaction. And he's about to take that a little further in his response. Verses 15 through 17. The Lord replied, hypocrites! Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame. But all those in the crowd rejoiced at all the extraordinary things he was doing. Jesus responds, hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to get a drink. So Jesus is making a kind of interesting point. And we actually have a saying today that acknowledges exactly what he's saying. Because we will say, right, we treat our pets better than when we treat each other. And just to be clear, that's not, we should be treating our, our pets well. We should be treating our pets with care. We should be treating our animals and creation with a great deal of care and compassion. Not discounting that. We need to be doing that. But sometimes, sometimes we actually notice people are treating their pets better than they're treating someone else. And here Jesus is like, we need to be treating one another with love, with respect, with worth. Like, you treat your ox better than you've treated this woman. Like, do you understand? That's a problem. You should be treating her well 
also. And so to even begin to think about that of worth, right? And we may be like, well, you know, dogs don't really talk back. Cats do talk back, so we can't use that one there. But to really think about how are we treating one another? How are we paying attention? How are we determining worth? And is it being guided by a God who loves all of creation? Or is it being guided by, well, I don't like what they said. I don't like what they did. Their worth is less than, right? Jesus is directly challenging how we engage in our relationships through this discussion of worth. And he is changing how we understand our worth, of where it's connected to and how it begins to play out in our everyday lives. Finishing up in verses 18 through 21. Jesus asked, what is God's kingdom like? To what can I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in a garden. It grew and developed into a tree, and the birds in the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, to what can I compare God's kingdom? It's like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through the hole. So often these last few verses are completely disconnected from what we just talked about because it, it's more focused on God's kingdom, what is that exactly, and is usually paired with other verses where it's kind of describing and how do we get at. And uh, when we talk about God's kingdom, it's a particular way of living that our entire world, it encompasses all of our actions, the way that we engage the world, the way that we understand the world. The way that we are living on a day-to-day -day basis is being directly guided by God. This loving, merciful, hopeful, peaceful, joyful God. And so as we're thinking through that, okay, so if we're living into that, if we're living into God's way of living, then these images, right, of the mustard seed into the bushel, that grows into the bush that's big enough to have birds. That one's a little bit ridiculous. Mustard seeds do not grow that big. They grow and they can grow into a bush, but not a strong enough bush to hold birds. It's almost like Jesus is purposefully stating the impossible becomes possible, which we've seen him do before, which I've talked about before. The impossible becomes possible. And then he goes on to this other image of the yeast working through, like somebody accidentally put the yeast. And that's kind of an interesting image of thinking about God's way of living, of God's work in the world, of how God is present even when we may notice it or not, right? The, the yeast is in the flour and it's working, but we don't necessarily notice until a certain point, until it becomes, it grows, and so, again, there, there's a sense here that there is growing an understanding that there is this impossible to possible, that there is this kind of potential. But there's also in this image, especially when we're looking back to the other verses of trying to figure out what does Jesus change and how that changes our relationships and our interactions, this idea of a mustard seed is very tiny,
and it grows into something bigger. And this idea of yeast, of how the yeast is working, may not be able to see it, and then it grows bigger. There is a greater potential. And so to begin to think about how we are interacting in our relationships, the way that we are engaging, the very thoughts that we have about worth, how in the smallest of details, the smallest of actions, the smallest of words can begin to take root and grow bigger. That it can begin to permeate our lives to become from impossible to possible to, to change our focus and our lives, our relationships in ways that we are like, whoa, I had no idea. And it starts with something small. It can start with something that we think, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Eh, I just threw away a mustard seed. It's, it's, it's nothing. But to understand that as God is working in our lives, as God is pre ever present, that it can be in the smallest of ways that our relationships became, can be changed in the smallest Little, we're tweaking, we're working, we're reevaluating, and it begins to get bigger and it begins to get more exciting. And that little tiny piece of encouragement becomes something massive. When we begin with the tiny of understanding the connections that we have in humanity, of beginning to understand why we draw particular lines with some and not others, and, and how we negotiate that, and beginning to look and understand our worth, that we can start with the smallest of questions, with the smallest of instances, and it can become something so wonderful and amazing that we moved from the impossible to possible, even even in those relationships that maybe are a bit on the difficult side. Jesus is giving us a way forward, a new way of thinking and being, of engaging with one another. So how will we live into? How will we struggle with? How will we be challenged by these verses of Scripture this day? by these words of Jesus and these parables? How will we engage with this conversation of how Jesus can change our relationships? Amen.